Good afternoon. You are listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and via podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Brought to you by our news team, Alexandra Fernandez, Chancellor Miracle, Chris Laurie, Zayden Vergara, Dinah Jansen, Cindy Gibson, Erica Singh, and me, Kareem Mosna. You are, of course, listening to a campus community radio station from Queen's University in Kingston. And you know what? You're not alone. As the National Campus and Community Radio Association have released new data, as uh, Abacus Data uh, did a recent study, which has found that uh, since 2017, the number of listeners tuning into campus and community radio has increased by over 4.4 million. The data further indicates that Canadians are listening to more campus and community radio than ever before. Since the initial survey in 2017 commissioned by the NCRA, listenership is up 14% across Canada. Now, some more statistics. 65% of those who identify as an immigrant listen to some form of campus or community radio. And further... 66% of Canadians consume local news through campus or community radio stations, and 64% of Canadians consume national news through campus or community radio stations. Executive Director of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, Alex Friedman, says, with the rise in disinformation, Canadians are tuning to local radio and looking for a connection that they can count on. Many rural and small committees feel left out from the national major broadcasters, as these broadcasters often underrepresent Canadians or Indigenous people who don't feel represented. Executive Director of the National Campus and Community Radio Association, Barry Rook, says, In a time of need, where do you turn? To your community. That is no different in life than it is in radio. Some other findings from the survey include 68% of union members listen to some form of campus or community radio. 74% of Canadians who are active in their community listen to campus or community radio. And men are more likely to listen to campus or community radio than women. This survey was conducted between September 29th and October 2nd with 1,500 Canadian adults. Queen's University has issued a statement addressed to faculty, staff, and students. The statement reads, In light of the increasing circulation of respiratory viruses and hospitalizations across the province, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health is strongly recommending that Ontarians wear masks in all indoor public settings, including in schools. To help ease the strain on local hospitals and reduce transmission of respiratory viruses, such as COVID-19, influenza, and RSV, The university strongly recommends that Queen's students, faculty, and staff wear a mask in indoor settings when physical distancing cannot be maintained. Individuals may be asked to wear a mask if close contact is required, and they ask to please be respectful of these requests. Some activities and roles may also have mandatory masking requirements, such as those in health clinics, hospitals, some laboratories, and in some organizations where students complete placements. Students, staff, and faculty must stay home if they are ill. Once symptoms begin to improve for 24 hours or 48 hours if gastrointestinal symptoms and no fever is present, you can return to campus. They ask to please continue to wear a mask for 10 days following the onset of symptoms. Additionally, as part of a nursing student health promotion project, there will be a walk-in flu vaccine clinic for staff and faculty held tomorrow and Wednesday, November 22nd to 23rd, from 9.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. It will be held on the second floor of Mitchell Hall. Uh, They ask to please bring a health card or another form of photo ID. 
Kingston Police Chief Angie McNeely has announced her upcoming retirement from the Kingston Police, effective December 21, 2023, after 38 years of service. McNeely says, throughout my tenure as chief, I have been committed to the promotion of equity, diversity, and inclusion, as well as member wellness within our organization, and to emphasize a holistic approach to community safety and well-being. We cannot do it alone, as it requires police working together with our community and partners to understand and address the root causes of societal issues. It has been an honor to work with each and every member of our service, and I'm incredibly proud of the work they do each and every day. Chair of the Kingston Police Services Board, Gerard Stearns, says she has been a strong advocate for disadvantaged persons and underrepresented groups. Chief McNeely will be remembered for reaching out and collaborating with external agencies and initiatives like Kingston Speaks Inclusion to address inequities and the root causes of crime. McNeely was deputy chief for seven years and was chief of police for five. Thursday, November 24th, and Saturday, November 26th are the final drop-off days this year at the Household Hazardous Waste Facility at the Kingston Area Recycling Centre. The city asks that prior to heading to the waste facility to check your residence for hazardous items like pesticides, batteries, pool chemicals, removers or strippers, bleach, motor oil antifreeze, propane cylinders, and compact fluorescent light bulbs. Proof of residency is also required. After the facility closes for the season, batteries can still be dropped off at City Hall, the Invista Center, or the main office at the Recycling Center, and compact fluorescent bulbs can also still be dropped off at the center. The city says to never put hazardous waste in the garbage or down the drain. And that's your local news rundown. You're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. Let's pass things over to Cindy Gibson with your local artist to watch. Hey everyone, it's Cindy from the Indie Wake Up Call with this week's local artist to watch. Now I know in previous episodes we have been featuring a lot of brand new up and coming artists or some who are still in those early stages of their career. Not this week. This week we're going to talk about truly a Canadian icon. We are fortunate enough in this town to be the hometown of the Tragically Hip. And of course, Paul Langlois is a really important member of that band. He is a great friend of CFRC, and he took some time to call us on Thursday morning to talk about his new album that he just finished recording, as well as his performance coming up at the Isabel this week. What's it like now? Because you, you do have a new album coming. We're going to touch on that in a second. But what's it like with this band now? Well, we just finished 10 days at our studio, at the Hip Studio in the Bath, the Bathhouse. And they're all uh, nice guys. They happen to be kind of buddies, you know, so I know them quite well. Uh, they were all just like me, just wanting to make uh, the best record uh, we could. And um, I think we did. So I'm really enjoying this band. I only sort of put them together in uh, in August. And, um, you know, Joanne is making do this and um, well. <laughs> it's not my tendency to sort of oh I want to make a record oh I want to do this I want to do that but um, I'm actually enjoying it uh, despite myself I just started thinking okay I got to finish um, like about eight songs and let's go in the studio so we just finished uh, the recording part of it and hoping to get something out in the spring we have to touch on the documentary just slightly here and I know you've been asked about it a lot there's this big documentary that's being planned about the the hip and my question is 
Um, <laughs> I, I can't remember things from the 90s very well. I can't imagine that you haven't had moments where you've been corrected in, in where you were, when what happened. Like, has that happened? We were like, no, actually, Paul, you were in San Francisco when that happened. Like, are things like that common when you're doing a lot of these interviews for this documentary? Well, fortunately, because uh, we've done interviews, Gord Downey's brother Mike, is um, he's doing it. Um, fortunately, uh, stuff come, comes back. Um, it does. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, if if um, if he asked me about, you know, do you remember playing the Fillmore in 1996? There we go. Um, <laughs> I would actually remember, you know. Um, you can't beat yourself up too much for not exactly remembering exact dates and that kind of stuff. No, but, uh, no. Like, bands don't remember that on the current current tour, right? Like On the current, yeah. Yeah, seriously. Exactly. Like, was that Saskatoon? I don't know. Um but it, it yeah. must, like, it's daunting, isn't it? Like, it's exciting, but, I mean, there, there's a lot to this. I can feel it. Well, to be honest with you, I have, like, about eight hours of, um, it's my day today. Um, so I'm going to get interviewed by Mike. And, um, like, it's not something I can really do homework for. I'm not going to go back over, oh, we did this. Oh, right, yes, 1998, I remember that. Um so I'm just going to have to um, ride along with it. We've got new music. Yeah, you know, uh, The Face of Time is, uh, you know, it's just kind of a bit of a different song for me. And um, so I'm looking forward to playing that. And there's a couple we kind of knew already. So, yeah, it's interesting. And and it's fun. We're, we're looking forward to the, you know, the show. And uh, fortunately, we get one or two more chances to rehearse and, um, it's coming. We can't stop it. So no, we're just gonna go with it. <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. Thanks again to Paul Langlois for taking time to talk to us at CFRC. We'll be playing the new album when we get it. And for those that are going to the concert at the Isabel, have a great time. My name is Cindy. I'm from the Indie Wake Up Call, and I'll be back next week with another local artist to watch. Thanks very much for that, Cindy. Now we got some campus news for you here on Today in YGK. Hello and welcome to Today in YGK Campus Corner. My name is Erica Singh and here are your campus news headlines for today. Last Friday marked the one-year anniversary of the Scarborough Charter, which is a call to action promoting the adoption of practices that will foster Black flourishing, inclusive excellence, mutuality, and accountability. Principal Dean released a statement on November 18th in which he shared all the changes that have been implemented in Queens since its signing and stressed the importance of making Queens an inclusive community. To read the full statement, head to queensu.ca principal. In other news, Professor Emeritus Ian Hawkinson, a longtime professor at Queens University and the founder of the Art Conservation Program, received the Order of Canada last Thursday in recognition of her pioneering and extensive contributions to the preservation and conservation of Canada's cultural heritage. Now, here are some residents' updates. In order to maintain a quiet study atmosphere during exams, you are required to leave residence at 3 p.m. the day following your last exam if you live in residence. If you want to live in residence over winter break or need to extend your move-out timeline, you have to register on the Residence and Dining Portal starting this week. 
all resident services such as front desks and dining close at 12 p.m. on December 22nd. This means there will be no mail or parcel delivery either. The last dining hall meal till January 8th will be brunch on December 22nd. All retail outlets will also be closed for the duration of the break but will open with limited hours following January 3rd. That's all for Campus Corner today. Now over to Chris with a special interview. Okay, so just to get right into it, for listeners who are not familiar with Oxfam at Queen's, what do you folks do there? Yeah, so we're a branch of Oxfam International and Oxfam Canada, which focuses on alleviating global poverty and fighting against injustices and inequalities. Um, So at Queen's, Oxfam is a nonprofit organization, and all the money that we're raising uh, are going for donations to charities. This semester, we chose Her Future, Her Choice, which is a Oxfam campaign used to um, advocate and empower women um, and advocate for reproductive and sexual rights. Awesome. And now that folks have an idea of what Oxfam does, would you like to both introduce yourselves and your involvement with Oxfam? Yeah, um, so um, I'm Emma, uh, and I'm a co-chair along with Megan. Yeah, so um, my name is Megan. I'm the other co-chair for Oxfam at Queen's. Yeah, awesome. And we're here to talk about the upcoming charity concert. Proceeds are going to Her Future, Her Choice, like you mentioned. So would you like to speak a little bit about what this campaign is contributing to? Yeah, um, so basically uh, it's for access to um, empowering services for women, Um, access to reproductive health services, um, education regarding women's sexual and reproductive rights, um, as well as advocacy advocacy for change in um, a few different countries, including Canada and Ethiopia. Um, We're trying to uh, allow women to have uh, more access to vital health information and services um, to increase equality globally. Hopefully um, our uh, fundraising will Um, help contribute to this uh, initiative in a significant way Um, and basically the the concert is going to be some local artists that have volunteered to perform and um, the proceeds from the ticket sales are going to um, this initiative. Fantastic and the concert itself has a great lineup of local artists like you just said. Um, Would you like to speak to the process of putting the event together and uh, getting folks involved? Yeah of course so our team has been absolutely amazing. So we have some great bands and musicians specifically we have Mobius Trip, Rooftop Caravan, um, all the Queen's Men, Madison Strobel, um, Grayson Martin, and Melancholy Caravan. They were all really in to get involved, so um, our events team took care of reaching out to them and seeing if they'd be down for the charity concert, and everyone seemed pretty excited for it, so without them, I don't think this would be possible at all, so we're really thankful to all of our bands and musicians. Um, And then as for planning it, we decided on the mansion because it's just such a nice environment in there. And they're very like accommodating with Queen students. So we thought that would be the best place to have our concert. And yeah, we're just really excited for it. Yeah, we're definitely lucky here in Kingston. So many great venues and amazing artists. Where can folks get tickets for this event? Um, So if you go on our uh, Instagram, Oxfam at Queen's, there is a link in our bio and uh, if you click on that, it'll take you to a list of links. And one of them is to purchase tickets. Uh, we also have 
um, an Instagram post with a QR code and we have ads uh, all over campus with QR codes as well. So if you scan those, um, uh, it's just a Google form um, and we accept e-transfer for payment. Uh, it's $5 per person if you buy ahead of time, but if you buy at the door on uh, Tuesday when the event is, um, it's $7. Be sure to get your tickets to the Oxfam Charity Concert, and now it's over to Zayden with sports. Good evening, everyone. My name is Zayden Vergara, and it's time for your CFRC Sports Update. Your Queen's Golden Gales had an absolutely stellar weekend. Starting with our men's basketball team, on Friday, they played against the Carlton Ravens, who are ranked number one by U Sports in the country. For reference, the Gales are ranked number six. It was a close first quarter for the Gales, going into the second up 18-14, but their defense was strong and it paid off, extending their lead 47-32 to of the half. The offense and defense worked hard in the second leg of the game to bring home a 76-62 win for the Gales and give Carlton their first loss of the season and allow the Gales to keep their undefeated title. The women's basketball team also conquered Carlton on Friday 71-65. It was a hard fight for the Gales with it being their second closest game of the season. Julia Chadwick topped the scoreboard with 18 points and 18 rebounds on the night. Speaking with Chadwick after the game, she added that the win definitely gives them confidence, but they have a lot of tough games ahead, so they will have to stay dialed. Queen's women's volleyball team completed the weekend sweep of the RMC Paladins with a 3-0 win, 25-16, 25-20, and 28-26 in the final set. With the win, the Gales improved their record to 4-0 on the season. This week, I was lucky enough to have a chance to talk with Queen's star rookie quarterback Alex Freakin about his first season with the Gales. Here's some highlights from my interview. Alex, you are the starting quarterback, I guess we could state now, for the Queens football team. How does that feel? Feels amazing. You know, uh, being a hometown kid, it's pretty cool. You know, I, uh, I joke with our center, Zach Dodge, who's also from Kingston, that we're living the dream, and we truly are. You know, it's a pretty, pretty cool opportunity to have. So look, take me back to the start. Um, when did you start playing football, and uh, what was the story of you coming to Queens? Um, yeah, so I started playing football in uh, grade eight, just in like a little kind of youth league. And then I played throughout high school at Frontenac Secondary School. Um, and my offense coordinator was actually a coach at Queens when Coach Sheehan was here. So uh, I played under him for a long time. He taught me a lot. His name is Mark McGee. And then um, as I got older, Coach Snyder started recruiting me. And um, yeah, I just, the reason why I came to Queens was I just really wanted to play for Coach Snyder. He, uh, out of all the coaches that I talked to from other schools, Coach Snyder was kind of, he seemed different and, and I really trusted what he was uh, doing here and uh, I just wanted to be a part of it. So yeah, I ended up here and I'm super happy where I am. Yeah. Uh, that sounds awesome. That's actually a great leeway for us to just change gears, I guess, a little bit. Can you, you speak to the experience now of being on the football team with the players that you're surrounded by uh, and the environment that you're in? Uh, yeah, so um, I would say like one of our key uh, key parts of our program is like we want to build this brotherhood every single year with a new team because every year like yes they're returning players but it's a new group of guys that kind of have to gel. It's a bunch of different personalities from all over the country. Um, so yeah, our main key or our main uh, one of our main goals is to build this like brotherhood of like we're a family and like even though you're away from home, you kind of rely on the hundred other guys with you. Um, and this year especially, we had a really special group where, like, we bonded really, really well. And uh, I always, like, have thought, like, playing sports that um, kind of, like, if you're if you're playing for the guy beside you instead of playing to try to, like, win a championship, you're playing 
so that the guy beside you can have an opportunity and he can play well, then it's a really, really uh, powerful thing. You know, like if you get a hundred guys playing for each other, then uh, you're difficult to stop. And I think we, we got to that point definitely by the end of the year. Like, yeah, for sure. And finally, is there anyone you want to thank for your season? Anyone you want to shout out? And uh, um, honestly, the mic is yours. Yeah, I don't know. Just kind of shout out to the boys. Um, like, I think we had a really, really special group this year. Um, obviously, <clears throat> we are losing a lot of guys this year, like losing James Keenan, losing Richard Burton. And then on the offense, or sorry, the defensive side of the ball, losing our middle linebackers and Wells and Walt Carabin. Um, guys in the secondary, like, it's it's kind of you're, you're, you're almost heartbroken to see them leave. Um, but at the same time, you need to celebrate the time they've had here. So shout out to the kind of the older guys, the veterans. And then, I don't know, I'm just looking forward to, uh, to continuing to roll with the guys that we have now and uh, hopefully win a championship next year. Thank you very much for your time, Alex. Thank you. To hear my full interview with rookie quarterback Alex Freakin, please check out the Today in YGK podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or CFRC.ca. But on that note, that's all for your CFRC sports coverage. Now over to Dinah Jansen with the weather. Thank you so much. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report. Tonight, we're expecting partly cloudy skies with a 30% chance of rain showers early this evening, then 70% chance of flurries later this evening and after midnight. Winds are southwest at 50 kilometers an hour, gusting to 80 with a low minus 6 and a wind chill minus 8 overnight. On Tuesday, we'll see mainly cloudy skies with increasing cloudiness late in the morning and then a 30% chance of rain showers or flurries in the afternoon and wind becoming southwest 20 kilometers an hour in the afternoon with a high plus 4. On Tuesday night, we'll see cloudy skies with a 30% chance of flurries or rain showers and a low minus 1. And on Wednesday, we'll see cloudy skies with a 30% chance of flurries, a high plus 3. And Wednesday night, cloudy skies, low minus 1. And now over to Alexandra Fernandez with the City of Kingston Traffic Report. Thank you so much. I'm Alexandra Fernandez, and this is your City of Kingston Traffic Report. Guy Street from Division to Carlton will be closed on Wednesday, November 23rd from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. for City of Kingston crews. Palace Road and Wright Road from north to south will be closed November 25th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until Jan 21st, 2023 at 7 p.m. Wright Crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until January 31st, 2023. The following streets are closed from 8.40 a.m. to 9.10 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. to 3.50 p.m. on weekdays until June 29th. McDonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. The third crossing bridge from Ascot Lane to Point St. Mark Drive is an active construction site. Contractor is maintaining site protections, however trespassers are circumventing the site fencing ignoring the signage that the road is closed. No public access is permitted until the formal opening occurs in December. On John Connor Boulevard from Montreal Street to Ascot, an additional left turn lane on the west side of the John Connor Boulevard Montreal Street intersection has been opened. The advanced green light will remain bagged in the meantime, followed the regular green light. In-water rock causeway removal will continue, meaning an increase in dump truck traffic on the west side until completion in December. Access from John Counter to Village on the River Apartments has been provided by a new ring road at Ascot and the John Counter intersection. The ring road has been painted and street signage has been installed. Additional placement of a temporary stop sign was placed on the west leg of Ascot for eastbound traffic and another temporary stop sign was placed on the south leg of Ascot for westbound left movements. These temporary stop signs will remain in place until traffic signals at Ascot 
will be operational in December. Pedestrians will be able to use the temporary access path north of JCB, which will be maintained at all times until the bridge is open in December. Cyclists will be single file on JCB, and traffic signals at the intersection of Ascot Lane and John Counter Boulevard will be operational when the bridge is open in December of 2022. At Highway 15 and Gore Road, traffic signals at the intersection of Point St. Mark and Gore Road will be operational when the bridge is open. Access through the south leg of Point St. Mark at Gore Road remains closed. More general notes is that access to the library parking lot has been moved to the new entrance at Point St. Mark. Access to the Pittsburgh library parking lot will be maintained at all times, and the cycling and pedestrian signals have been activated to assist cyclists and pedestrians in crossing the road at Gore Road and Highway 15 intersection. Other delays that you can expect this week, Front Road from Sandy Bay Lane to Country Club Drive, you can expect traffic delays due to a lane reduction to a single lane each direction until the end of the year. Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, you can expect delays as well. And Jackson Mills Road near the KNP Trail will be reduced to one lane for roadside safety improvements, but does remain open in both directions. Thank you so much, and now we're going to throw it over to Dinah with our events calendar for the week. Thank you so much. And now it's time for the CFRC events calendar. Students at Queens are invited to Stauffer Library Seminar Room 121 for a drop-in in-person essay exam prep session from 1 to 2 p.m. on November 22nd and a virtual Zoom-based session at 6 p.m. Students can also join the in-person Zoom-based multiple-choice exam prep sessions on November 23rd in Stauffer Room 121 and Zoom. Learn more on the Student Academic Success Services website. On November 22nd at 9 o'clock in the morning, Queen's Health Sciences Dean Jane Philpott will be moderating a special virtual panel on cancer research from the front lines. Join panelists Drs. Jacqueline Gallica, Annette Hay, and Bishal Giwali for a crucial look at the future of cancer care, treatment, and research. Visit queensu.ca backslash alumni for more information. On November 23rd, Four Directions invites Indigenous students to join together for Bannock Bread and Cedar Tea starting at 1.30. And Four Directions also reminds Indigenous students at Queen's University they can also join the Social Fire at the 4DTP every Friday from 12.30 to 2.30. Also on November 23rd at 6 p.m., the Queen's Black Alumni Chapter is running the first installment of its speaker series with Dr. Catherine McKittrick, who will discuss the university's Black Studies program. Registration is required for the Zoom-based session. Learn more via queensu.ca backslash alumni. On November 23rd as well, at 6.30, the Queen's Women in International Security Chapter will be hosting its first panel of the year on far-right extremism through a gendered lens in North America in McIntosh Quarry Hall. On Thursday, November 24th, Daft Brewing is hosting Drag Bingo starting at 7.30 at free 19-plus event, while the Paul Langlois Band plays in concert that evening with Chris and Dee at the Isabel Bader Center for the Performing Arts starting at 8 o'clock. Get your tickets via the Isabel's website. And on November 25th, Access Equity is running the Queen's Show Me Off Art Sale in Kingston Hall's Reflection Room from 1 to 5 p.m., featuring art for sale created by Queen's students. On November 26th, Queen's Health Sciences invites cancer patients, survivors, caregivers, and family members to an in-person public education event hosted by the QCRI scientists and clinicians and funded by the Gardner Foundation Ontario. Visit the Queen's Health Sciences website for more information. And also on November 26th, come party with CFRC 101.9 FM in the wine cellar at the Mansion for Cellar Sessions. A night of deep house and deep tech music presented by Aqua, DJ Mortem, DJ Slim, and Catanio. Visit CFRC.ca for $10 advance ticket information or pay $15 at the door. 
And of course, CFRC is still running its annual funding drive, support station operations, our new accessible website, and radio theater camp projects by making your gift today via cfrc.ca. Every dollar counts, and we sure do appreciate your support. And that's a wrap for today's events calendar and our program today. Don't forget to subscribe to The Scoop and Today in YGK podcasts to get your local news on the go via Spotify and iTunes. From all of us on the CFRC News team, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.